hey, it's, it's a big Sunday for us. It's called Step In Sunday. Um, and we are kind of, we're still in a ser- our series. It's last, last Sunday in our series called Everyone In. Um, but it's Step In Sunday for a reason. Uh, and I want to start this way. Like, is, is there ever a time where somebody says something, either from a church stage uh, or in a small group or something, and everybody else is like, mm. And you're all like, uh, I don't know. You know, like, every, it's like 95% of the people are like, yes. And you're sitting there like, I don't know. I want you to know, like, sometimes that's okay. Like, one time I was in this pastor's group, uh, and we're sharing prayer requests, right? So prayer requests are supposed to be, like, deep and from your heart, and you just share, right? Especially when you're amongst pastors. You should be able to trust them to just handle that prayer request correctly. So I, I'm, I'm sharing this prayer request, and it was, it was in a season where our church was growing really fast, uh, and, and it was getting, you know, big, and people were like, oh, let's, let's have you guys train other churches to do the same thing. So I've seen that happen, and I've seen pastors get a big old head about it, right? Pastor ends up with a, with a Mercedes Benz all of a sudden or something, or he ends up with his own parking spot uh, because the church grew a little bit. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't want that for my heart. So here was my prayer in that season. My prayer in that season was, God, will you gently guide my humility? Now, notice that. I didn't, I didn't pray for humility because that, that, that's, that's a crazy prayer. I said, God, would you gently guide my humility. Be gentle with me, God, but make sure my heart is always humble because you're the God that made any of this happen. You're the pastor, you're the preacher, you're the power, you're all of it. And so you make this happen, God, and I'm going to give you all the glory. You make sure my heart is humble. And, and one of the pastors steps in, a young guy, and he's like, he's like, you know what? God is a father, and he, that, therefore he doesn't humble his kids. All right? And collectively, that was his word, collectively, the whole room was like, yes, good word. And I thought three things. One, you're clearly not a father yet. Two, this is my prayer request, so pray for me and shush. That was what I thought in my head. I didn't say that out loud. Although once in a while I will say stuff like that. And three, I I just looked at my Bible and I'm like, huh? Like, this is the same God that took Saul and while he was Saul, made him Paul. But the reason, the way he made him Paul was by blinding him first. And he was blind for a significant amount of time to humble him and for him to recognize, like, you're messing with the real God. This is the same God who gets to Moses, and Moses, he tells Moses, while he's talking out of a burning bush, we'll talk about this later, he, he tells Moses, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground. Like, son, I'm God, you're man. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. Right, and that story is really about them remembering who God is. And so, so sometimes I think we just take what people say, as long as they're on a stage or something. And we're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Or as long as they read a book. I read this book recently. And it's this prominent book from a prominent author and a pro- prominent movement in Christianity. And the whole concept behind it is uh, belong before believe. Okay? So it's asking you to, as an organization, as a structure of a church, to make sure people belong before they believe. And again, collectively, Christianity is like, I love it. It's got three Bs. It's got to be right, right? Belong before believe. Three Bs. I'm thinking, I got to be the Bible, right? And there, I can think of a dozen people off the top of my head where they did not belong anywhere before they believed. As a matter of fact, the Bible made clear that they didn't belong anywhere, and they believed first on God, in God, and then maybe, we don't even know, found their way to belonging somewhere, belonging as a part of a community. I just think sometimes we just take stuff in and we're like, yes, 
The most recent one, and the one I'll kind of build off of, uh, I was at this conference, and um, there's this guy on stage. He's another one of those prominent authors, has a great book, and uh, writes some articles, and he's a good communicator. And for like three hours, it was two sessions of an hour and a half. I'm like, why do you guys think we want to sit this long? It was three hours of him talking about why the church stinks and where the church is going, and a lot of it was super on point. I'm like, man, you're right. You got me. You got me. I'm hungry. Like, where, where are you going with this? Tell me what the answer is, because yes, we stink. How do we smell better? Like, we all leaned in, because he's like, I got the answer. We all leaned, leaned in. We're like, this is what we paid $190 for. So come on, pal. Bring, bring the good stuff. And he says, we need to stop using people, and we need to start loving them. Again, collectively, hundreds of pastors in the room are like, praise hands, praise hands. And I'm sitting over there like, for real? That's it? That's what you came up with? So three hours of a problem, and then your 20-second problem is stop using people, love them? Like, just because this guy has a jumbotron behind him, he had a full jumbotron. We're going to listen to him? Just because there was smoke, a smoke machine during worship? Kid you not. We're going to listen to this person? Whatever he says is gospel, whatever he says is Bible? Now, there is using people in the wrong way, right? And it's over half the word of abuse. And it's not seeing that person as a human. <laughs> not seeing them as someone with a mind, a heart, a schedule, a life. But just seeing them as an asset. Using them without their permission or their joy. Stripped of their joy. That's using someone in the wrong way. But then there's using someone. Like calling out God's given gifts inside of them, telling them who God made them to be, and calling them to mission because that's the narrative of the Bible. I love you. I have a mission for you. I'm going to use you because I believe you can help. I created you with the ability to help. There's using someone, and then there's using someone. And there was no distinguishing between those two. And so I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if what we're saying is good because I believe that God wants to use us to save the world. I believe the primary vehicle to save the world is the church. We're the plan. Jesus did all the work, and now we're the plan to shout him. You're the primary plan to save the world. You're the primary plan to rescue this world from hunger, pain. So I believe God wants to use us. I believe that over time, it's not one or the other. It's not, do you love me? Then don't use me. If you use me, you don't love me. It's not love or use. It's love and use. And I believe that's, again, the narrative of the Bible. Uh, I think you have it inside of you. Like we all grow up, and we're in, a, we're in a classroom, and we're in that classroom, and they ask us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Happens in every classroom. Now, you go around the room, the kids are not like, you know, I just want to be something useless. I want to be something that makes kind of a middle-of-the-pack middle wage. You know, I don't want to be broke. So just give me something useless, middle of the road, lacks purpose. And all the kids like, I want to be a fireman. Is it because he likes heat and danger? No, the kid wants to do something, right? He wants to be used to rescue people, to save people, to love people. They want to cure cancer. They want to be a doctor. They want to be a teacher. They want to be a coach. They want to be a pastor. Maybe not the last one. I like to think they want to be a pastor. Right? This, this is what we are. This is what we're made to be from our innards. God has made us with this longing desire to be used by him. And, and, and like none of us have ever 
None of us have ever spent a whole day Netflix and chilling, and we got done with that, and we're like, man, it's a good day. We go into it like, yes, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. Afterward, we're like, I am a, I'm a, I'm a useless mess. We feel gross. And it's not because it was wrong what we did. It's because there's this burning desire inside of us to be used by God, to do something for God. Over time, we get convoluted. We start to get rid of our desire to be used and our desire for mission and our desire to be a fireman, and we get convoluted, and we just want money, and we want security. But, but, but if we go back to who we are as a child, in our innate senses, we want to be used by God. Paul, in the New Testament, is mentoring young pastor Timothy, and he says this about the worker for good. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. The word use was in there. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Super clear. Uh, Eugene P- Peterson passed away this week. Uh, he was the uh, author of The Message. The Message is an idea for idea Bible. So they go on a spectrum from word for word to idea for idea. It's meant to be used as an as a idea for idea. So in honor of him and in honor of this passage and how beautifully he writes this, uh, let, let, me, let me hit the message. In a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets. Some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage, become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. He tells young Timothy, tell your church to be of use, of good use. God wants to use you. Today I want to tell you that God wants to use you, he doesn't want to use you. I want to be really clear. God wants to use you, he doesn't want to use you. He loves to use you. And really, here's the second kind of major idea that we're chasing after today. The moment that he has your heart, the moment that he, he knows you're his, you become the primary vehicle to represent his heart, to represent his characteristics. It's not a tree. Tree's great. God loves trees. He made trees. They represent part of his character. It's not an ocean. Oceans are deep and wise. and are Wide, they're not wise. They're wide and, and they're wonderful and, 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 and there's just everlastingness inside of them. But they still don't represent God the way that we can represent God. We are created in his image. We are his primary vehicle to represent his love. As soon as he knows I have your heart, he says, okay, now I'm going to use you. And we're going to prove that throughout the scriptures today. I'm going to go through the whole Bible. So... And it's a shorter message than usual. So I don't know, again, sometimes I don't know why I do the things that I do, uh, but I do them anyway. But I want to start in Genesis, and I want to talk about why God wants to use you. Uh, He doesn't want to use you. He wants to use you uh, as the primary vehicle to represent him. Uh, And then we're going to basically shut it down earlier than usual. Uh, We're going to turn off kind of the the, the recording portion uh, of today, and we're going to have kind of a family meeting. So it's Step In Sunday, if you don't know. Uh, and the reason we're calling it Step In Sunday is because I believe that God wants to use you, that we've been talking about this for about six weeks now, and now's the time where you can step in. So we have papers where you can sign up for absolutely anything. You can take one step in your faith. Uh, I promise this is the last Sunday for a while that I'm going to be yelling at you about the same thing. Some, some of you are like, I feel like this is what we're doing every Sunday. But we just launched this church, and so it has to be a lot of vision and mission. And so that's where we're going, and, and that vision and mission uh, is important, and I have the passionate task of kind of closing this up, our vision and mission series, but we are not closing our vision and mission, if you know what I mean, okay? We're, we're, we're calling you out still, and we're going to ask you to step into something, uh, and also, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to have a family meeting, so I'll tell you, how are we doing? 
um, I, I've been pushed by God in my insides that maybe we're not as transparent as a church as we need to be. And so I'm going to tell us, like, how are we doing quarterly? Let's just talk about it, okay? So, so that's today. Uh, we're going to go through the whole Bible in about 15 minutes about how God wants to use you. Let's start in Genesis 1. I, I do not employ you to try to flip with me in your Bible. You will not be on time. You'll get paper cuts. You'll be mad at me. It won't happen. So Genesis 1 uh, is, is about God creating first. Uh, and then Genesis 2 is about why he created. So I create all these things. Genesis 2, here's why. This is Adam first. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. First thing he does. I love you, Adam. I have your heart. You know me. We walk in the cool of the day together. I'm going to give you mission. Why does he do that? Because he knows a man without a mission is a man without a heartbeat. He knows it. He knows if your whole life is to wake up, go to a dead-end job that you barely like and you don't feel any mission inside of, you don't feel any use inside of, you go home, you eat, you play Fortnite, then you repeat. He knows that you're going to die inside. He knows that as a human, as a woman, as a man, you're going to go, I need mission because God created you with that desire. And so the first thing he does is he gives him mission. He gives her mission. We'll talk about her in a second. This is verse 16, though. And the Lord commanded the, the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. He tells him, Look, you got dominion. That's part of your mission. You have dominion. Absolutely. But remember, I have dominion over you. I made everything. Here's one thing you can't have. Let's keep going. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man, uh, good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So we're created for dominion. We're created for mission. We're created for relationship. All these things need to happen inside of us. That's why we have this, this sinful desire for control all the time. Because that's, that's the good desire of we have dominion over this for Jesus. That's why we desire relationship all the time. Because we have that. And so that's why we desire mission all the time, because God created us for these things. But look, even when he creates Eve, he gives them a collective mission, marital mission. This is one of my favorite missions in all the Bible. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. I love it. Took it super seriously. That's why we got three kiddos running around a small apartment. That's why every time Anna's like, I'm a little bit hot. I'm like, you're pregnant, aren't you? Ha! Oh. We can't, we can't do it. You know, just every she's like, I'm a little bit snacky. You're pregnant. It's over. We got to fit four kids here. I just start freaking out. She's like, would you calm down? Like, so, so we took this very seriously. But God, God is saying, I want you to subdue the earth with disciples, with followers of Jesus. Creation, mission. Creation, relationship, dominion, mission. Noah's next. Noah gets a promise from God. And look, whenever there's a promise... We call, them a, we call it a covenant. There's also a mission attached to it. So if you look at the covenant as an email, there's always an attachment in that email. And that, that attachment is mission. So we have the Adamic covenant, which was first. We just read part, part of it. Now we have the Noahic covenant. God is going to make Noah a bunch of promises. And one of, the, one of the missions that he has is to build this giant Titanic-sized boat. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on, this, on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man, man's heart is evil from his youth. 
Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold, heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. These are promises. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Look, look, he's just giving them more mission. And this is not just like make babies. That's not what God is saying here. And any parent knows that it's not just about making babies. It's about raising them up in the ways of God. By the way, you can sign up for the children's ministry after service, and you can meet downstairs for the meeting that we're having if you want to love the next generation. If you don't want to love the next generation, that's fine. It's up to you. <laughs> but he's saying, I, like, I, I love you. I give you this mission, and also I want to raise you up. And I want you to raise these kids up. That's your mission. And it's hard. It's a hard mission. Every day I go to sleep and I think about how to raise these kids up. Every night. we got Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. And we have the Abrahamic covenant. If you're getting confused, there was a bunch of promises in the Old Testament. And God adds an IC. To, well, we added an IC. We had an IC to the end of the name and then covenant. So mine, if you're looking for reference, would be Justinic covenant. That to me sounds kind of phenomenal. So God, if you're listening and you want something like that to happen, that's fine. But that's what's going on here. We have Adamic, we have Mosaic, we have Noahic, we have Abrahamic, okay? Um, and so here, here's between God and Ab Abram becomes Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. He gives a mission from the beginning. And I'll make you a great nation. Here's the promise. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I'll curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I know this is a lot of scripture but I'm trying to show you we're not even through Genesis yet. Every covenant, every mission, come, or every covenant, every promise comes with a mission attached to it. One more. The Mosaic. Okay? Now that's because Mosesic does not sound good. So we're at the Mosaic Covenant. Moses is in the desert. He sees a bush. It's on fire. Now, if your job was in the bush, or your job was in the wilderness, and you saw a bush that was on fire, that'd be the most exciting thing you've seen in a decade. So the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed all at the same time. So in his curiosity, he walks over to the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Right? This is part of, like, humble yourself before me. Humble yourself before me, because I am the one who makes promises with that guy, with that guy, and with that guy. I fulfill all those promises, and I give all those guys amazing mission. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I'm watching. Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people, uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. Look, here, here's a big point. The, the point of your mission, the point of your use, is less about the result and more about your relationship. God loves you as Father. He cares about the result. But he's using you because he cares about the relationship first. Because if you're, if you're a father, you know, like, I don't need my son to help me. Matter of fact, my son pretty much stinks at helping me. But if I call him under my wing and I show him something, it's purely about the relationship, not the result. 
So God says, I'll be with you. I, I don't need you. I, I'm going to part the waters. I'm, I'm going to rain fruit from the sky. I don't really need you, but I love you, son, and I'm going to use you. And this shall be the sign for you that, you, that I have sent for you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, there's the, there's the promise, there's the result. You shall serve God on this mountain. If you know the narrative of the Bible, then comes Joshua, and then comes a bunch of judges, and some of the judges are, are whacked out of their mind, and some of them are great, right? Then comes Ruth and Boaz, promises, mission. Then comes Samuel, promises to him as a prophet, mission. Then comes David, we get the Davidic covenant. God makes a promise with David, and David builds one of the greatest kingdoms by God's help of all time. Then comes his son. He just loves Solomon, even though Solomon becomes a mess later on and has like three billion wives. He still loves Solomon and gives Solomon mission. And Solomon gets to build the temple. And then comes major and minor prophets. And, and these major and minor prophets have sometimes terrible mission, but God is calling them anyway, right? Hosea has to marry a prostitute, which just stinks. And Jonah has to go to Nineveh, which just stinks because these people are volatile and they're violent. And he has to tell them to repent. And so there's mission and there's purpose and then flip to the New Testament, Jesus starts sending people out two by two on mission. And Matthew 28 is his covenant with God's people, but he employs them to go throughout the earth and make disciples. And then Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to be witnesses. Everything is infused and pregnant with mission from the beginning all the way to the end. He loves you and he wants to use you all the way to the end. God is showing you, I want to use you I don't want to use you, but I want to use you. I love like just looking at the whole thing and going, what, what, what are you, what, what does your character look like, God? And that's, that's his character. And so here's a big question, and then I'll tell one story. Okay? Big question is, are you being used by God? He wants to use you. Are you being used by God right now? And, and many of you are, man. I, I'm going to give some numbers about how many of us serve here, and they're fantastic. <laughs> they're fantastic. But the question that you need to ask your heart is, am I being used by God? Do I even know what it looks like? And the last, I, I always want to end with the heart, because I, I never want you to think that we're using you, not using you. Okay? The heart behind this, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story uh, to represent the heart. I, I was with this um, missionary from uh, the Sudan uh, this week. Got, got lunch with a missionary from the Sudan. And he was there for a while, uh, and he heard good stories and bad stories. And the bad stories are the ones that still haunt this country today, you know, that are part of the Atlantic sh slave trade, and um, they're, they're the ones that still haunt a lot of people in this room, inside and outside. Um, and, and for us as a country, it's just a, it's just a shameful history but I want to tell a redemptive story uh, from the, the Atlantic slave trade in the Sudan. Um, because what would happen is um, th they were kind of in a state of, even pre-Atlantic slave trade, they were in a state of endemic warfare, which means just a constant state of warfare between states. And so the more powerful men would go to the weaker states that have lost war, uh, and they would get slaves, and then they would trade them to the colonists. Okay? So just... A horrible time in, in our history. Um, and in that trip, like they put, they put chains around the neck and the feet. It was like a chain gang. And they'd walk them through 
each town. I know you're thinking, where's the redemption and all this? <laughs> it's coming, I promise. They walk them through each town. And when they would get to a certain town, undoubtedly there'd be a, a relative there or a cousin or a friend. And they see their friend in chains. Now, something about these people is all they cared about was money, right? So that friend or that uncle or that cousin could go get, just get some money together and they could walk and they could go buy their friend back. And, and they could watch the chains fall off of their friend. And so this happened all the time as they went from town to town, from state to state. It happened all the time where a cousin would go bail cousin out. And in that moment when the chains fell off, this is how it goes, they would get down on their knees and they would pledge slavery to that cousin, to that uncle. But not the kind of slavery you're thinking of. Not the unwilling bondage slavery. But the willing, joyful, I love you slavery. I thank you for rescuing my entire life. And so I want to be yours forever. I want to serve you. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. And whatever, you, whatever you're doing, I got your back. That kind of slavery. And I, when he's telling me the story, I'm just thinking, man, that's why. That's why we're of use. <laughs> because he rescued us forever. He saw us walking along in bondage, thinking that we weren't, but we're walking along in bondage. And he says, no, I'm going to buy you. And I don't care if it takes my own life. I don't care if it takes crucifixion, death on a cross, I don't care if it means sending my only son and watching him crucified for your good. I'm, I'm going to buy you. I'm going to purchase you in all of your sins. I got it all. I got all the money. And so in that moment, we get down on our knees and we say, I got, I'm yours forever. Whatever you want me to do. He wants to use us. He doesn't want to use us. And the only way to use us without using us is if we decide in joy to serve and give our lives to him. And so that's why I want to step in this Sunday. That's why we're calling it Step In Sunday uh, because we have been talking about this for, for months. Um, we talked a little bit about the heart and we talked a little bit about the practical, but that's the heart. And so I hope after today is over, I have a sign-up sheet for liter literally everything here. Um, you can sign up for anything. Don't come up here because you feel guilty. Don't come up here because you're not doing anything and you feel like I need to do something or else God won't love me. Just come up here and serve because he's the one who purchased your freedom. That heart will carry you. Let's, let's pray and then I'm gonna, as soon as I'm done praying, will you cut off the, <clears throat> God, we love you and we thank you that you purchased us. We thank you that you can find redemption in the most horrible of stories. I pledge my life, I give my life to you. And God, that has not always turned out so good. That has not always turned out like I thought it would turn out. But I do it because you purchased my freedom first. You loved me first, you owned me first. You bought me first. And so God, I'm sorry that I get sidetracked and I think it's about me and I think it's about what I should get or what I deserve or what I should feel like because I want to serve you just from Philippians 2 <laughs> that you, the God of the universe humbled yourself to the point of death on a cross 
that you served me first. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.